Welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable with your host, Mindy Harley. Warning, listening to this podcast might cause you to shatter your limited beliefs, recognize your potential and motivate you to be the best you can be. Other side effects may include, but not limited, to grabbing life by the balls, taking no crap from anyone, becoming an unstoppable force at various aha moments to get you thinking outside the box. And welcome everybody back to Becoming Unfuckwithable and today's guest is none other than James Patrick. Now, if that name sounds familiar, especially if you're in the photography business, James Patrick is an award-winning and internationally published commercial and editorial photographer, and he's based down in Arizona. And if you're in the fitness industry, you've probably heard that name because you've probably actually shot with him, but you might have worked with him as a business coach. He's going to help you on your website as a website strategist. He's also a journalist, and he might have seen him speak um, at one of the events that you've attended uh, just like him sit podium, but he is also a public speaker. James, so good to have you on today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for having me on and love the intro. I should have I, I should uh take that recording of that intro and just play it as I just enter a room. <laughs> You're good to go. Just uh clip, edit, drop. There you go. You can always uh, grab it off in this one. <laughs> so James, you know you can you know, I I remember seeing your work from years ago. You were definitely on my bucket list of photographers to work with in the fitness industry. And I know you've been, you know, spearheading so many new events, so many new opportunities for fitness models. How did you initially get into the whole photography thing? It wasn't necessarily a plan for me. Photography was something that I more so stumbled into. And then with so many things, you know, when we, when we're working with people, the advice we give is do what you can't help but do anyway. And once I found photography, I couldn't help but do it. So my background is actually as a journalist. And I worked as a journalist through, uh, you know, coming up through high school and then into college. And I was a uh, reporter, uh, for, for a newspaper, but I, I would, I would not say I was a good reporter. Uh, in fact, I would, I would more say I was a bad reporter. Um, and, and not that I, didn't enjoy writing. I loved writing. I, I absolutely loved writing. But I didn't, you know, there was something about, oh, hey, there's a new ribbon cutting ceremony. Go down, get two quotes, and then turn in an 800-page article by, you know, 5 o'clock tonight. It's like, uh, all right. Uh, yeah. And one day working, I was working on an assignment late one night. My editor had me go cover, um, it was a... Uh, um, an orchestra prepping for a concert. So I just had to go, you know, talk to the conductor, get some quotes, and and just write write a you know little arts and entertainment piece on this upcoming concert that they were going to be putting together. So I'm running out the door to to go do this, and he says, "Oh, here's a camera. I need you to go take some photos to go along with your article." All the staff photographers are on assignment. And I said, "Fine." Thought nothing of it. Just okay, fine, whatever you need. Uh, yeah. And he said, I start running out the door, and he says, well, 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 hold do you know how to use it? It's like, <laughs> I don't know. And I never, I never, you know, this, I'm, I'm probably 19 at the time. I'm like, I, yes, no, I, it, I mean, everyone, you know, we, we'd all had experience with disposable cameras at that point. I assume it's about the same. You know, yeah. you know turn on point that way. Uh, yeah. and, 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 you know, to make a long story short, the photos are terrible. 
And but it was something that was fun. So I was like, oh, let me explore this. And and I started to explore it a little bit more. And I kind of did it a little backwards. Um, a, a typical editorial commercial photographer's progression through their career is they're going to start in school, then they're going to intern for another photographer, uh, work for another photographer for a few years, then they're going to start with doing some editorial work, editorial work being working for a magazine to build up their book. Then they'll take a book and market and get commercial work. That's the normal path for, for uh, a photographer. And I did it really haphazardly of my first clients were actually, you know, when I decided I was going to shoot and, and shoot for money, my first clients were commercial. I started doing commercial work right off the bat without a portfolio. I started, you know, oh, wow. marketing, networking, and getting commercial clients. Uh, then went back and did editorial. Uh, spent a lot of time in editorial, worked even in-house doing editorial work as a photo editor for both newspaper and magazines, where I managed photographers, hired photographers, assigned photographers to do uh, to do projects, develop the visual identity of a publication, um, especially with a startup magazine that I was a part of uh, back then, probably 21, 22 at this point. And uh, then after I had already developed a career, then I started interning for another photographer, probably <laughs> around the age of 22. Uh, you know, so it was all backwards. But I'm glad I took the path I did because I got to see the photo industry from so many different sides and angles, uh, which that I think uh, has has shifted how I approach my career, which might be different from how someone else approaches their career in the same field. Yeah, you know, and I and it's the way you've done it too. You really, you really hacked the traditional system. You know, you you didn't go the normal A to Z route. You you went even though you did it backwards. I think you did it in a way that probably would have set you up for that set you up for more success than even doing it the traditional route. You know, and I would love to say that was the plan, but I just <laughs> did. It, 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 I just did whatever was in front of me because I, once again, I, it was something I couldn't help but do. And the path I took was whatever path presented itself to me at that point. I did commercial work first because that's what presented itself first, and then editorial work, then working in-house, uh, then after after working as a photographer for a while, then started entering for another photographer because that's just the order in which I came across it. But then again, I've never really had any formal training in photography. I didn't go to photo school. I took one photo class in college, did not do well. I think I got a C or a C minus somewhere around there. And um, that, and, and really didn't even like doing it at the yeah. point. There was just, I, I had to do it as part of my required curriculum at the time. Mm-hmm. You had to, you're kind of forced to fit into a, you know, a square hole. In the meantime, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, not quite that fitting for you, and you're uncomfortable, and you've got to learn and adapt. Um, so, doing it that way, though, and then, you know, you've started from the bottom, you were in your 20s and everything. At what point does it does it pivot and it starts to become a serious thing for you? So, the pivot actually was something I delayed for a long time. Even though I couldn't help but do photography, the universe around me tells me that this is a very precarious industry to be in. It's very hard to be a photographer. Uh, there's not much money to be made. And I'm making fine money. I'm making decent money. But then again, I'm in my early 20s. How much money do I need? Um, and so 
in college, right before I graduated, I was also thrust into another career position where I took on a uh, marketing role for a professional service firm. And it was something that I just kind of stepped into, did, did not have much experience in marketing prior to that. Uh, but took my background as a journalist and really being a journalist and being a photographer is all about storytelling. That aligns very nicely with the field of marketing. And so I stepped into a career in marketing and I worked at that job for seven years. Now, congruently, I still have my photography business. I'm still picking up photo clients and every year I'm scaling the photo business a little more and a little more and a little more. But when people were to ask me, if they were to say, James, what do you do for a living? I would say, I work in marketing. And then should I get to know them a little bit better, then eventually I might, you know, weasel into the conversation. Oh, I also take photos, too. Mm-hmm. But my first thing was marketing. And once again, I'm glad I did that because I learned so much about, you know, uh, marketing, client retention, client management, uh, lead gen development opportunities. Um, I learned how to manage a business from my career in marketing. And I was at that job probably a little too long. Uh, like I said, I was there seven years. I probably should have left after four. And I remember when it, it, it got to a point where I was working two full-time jobs because any time I had eight hours of sick time, I took the sick day and I worked on my, my photography business. I burned every vacation day on my photography business. Every night was spent on my photography business. Every weekend day was spent on my photography business. And it got to a point where I was doing them both equally. And I'm working two full-time jobs at this point and still lying to myself that, oh, I work in marketing. You know, it's no big deal. And when I finally did uh, turn my notice in, um, I remember my boss at the time said, I'm surprised it took that long. You know, like, you should have done this a few years ago. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I probably should have. But the biggest eye-opening thing that happened to me during this process, uh, we're looking at maybe now circa 2007, and the economy is starting at dip, okay? And most of my freelance photo clients are going out of business. And I'm looking at the industry, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is getting much harder to succeed in. What if I just put up the camera, you know, what if I just put that on a shelf and just focus on marketing because my marketing job's going great. I'm being headhunted in marketing. It's, it's, I'm in a really good position right now. And, but I was like, but I can't help but take photos. Like I, I have to take photos. So yeah. I said, well, let me try something. Uh, Cause at that point, it, it's important to know at that point I was, I was photographing anything I could. Uh, I was, I was also the in-house photographer for the marketing job I worked at. Uh, yeah. You know, and I travel around the comp- or travel around the country shooting for them. But I would shoot anything. You need me to shoot a family portrait, done. Sports, done. Uh, model photos, done. Fashion, done. Uh, whatever, whatever I could. <laughs> I, yeah, absolutely, anything, anything. You know, I was like, I did the most random jobs. Like some guy who made, like, he was trying to rip off Lego by making little robotic things. Like, wanted me to photograph his catalog of weird crap. Um, you know, I photographed that. I photographed for a winery. Like, like, it was just anything. But I wasn't known for anything. Like, I had no signature style. I had no signature vision. It was just, it, it was what, whatever I was doing at that moment. And because of that, I noticed my work starting to dip in the sense that if I'm not known for anything, if I'm not doing anything worth, like, like having a visual brand or visual identity, what are people going to remember? So 
about 10 years ago is where we're about now. I decided, well, I, I'm going to do a big roll of the dice here. And I'm going to say that, uh, you know, I'm really, I want to do something that speaks to me and what spoke to me was sports and fitness. Like, I love working with athletes. I'm like, I'm going to try this. No one else is doing this at the time. What if I did this? Because if everyone's running left, I want to run right and vice versa. Yeah. So I, I started to develop a book in sports and fitness. And then the sports and fitness industry erupted and exploded. And it was somewhat calculated because I'm reading in, in news magazines and business magazines that the fitness industry is going to erupt. There's going to be more gyms, more personal trainers, more health spas, more supplement companies, more juice bars. Like, and this is, I mean, this is 2007, 2008 that this, you know, they're predicting this. And I'm just like, well, I got to be there. I got to be at the front of this. Like I'm seeing a huge opportunity. And foresight without action only leads to hindsight. And so I'm getting all this great foresight for something that I love anyway. And I'm like, well, let's try it. And it exploded. And I'm so glad that I pivoted when I did because I was at the front of this wave that just took off. And for the last 10 years, I've been surfing that wave as a photographer in the fitness industry. It's what grew my business. It's what allowed me to walk away with my marketing job with complete confidence and then go on to double and then even more so my income uh, within the first year after leaving. And it's what has brought me this moment. It's what helped me launch my podcast, my blogs, my eBooks, my conference, because I was at the forefront of it. And now, 10 years later, a decade later, uh, I'm at a position where I'm going to be pivoting again because this brand, which I love and has been great to me, brands, you know, a, a good brand ride will last about eight to 10 years. And I've pushed it for 10 years. So there needs to be a new shift within my own work, within my own brand for what I'm going to invest my heart into for the next 10 years. And does that mean it's going to, won't be fitness? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. It could, it could very much still be rooted in that, but there will, and it, people have already started to see it. There's been some, some shifts in the work I create and in the messaging that I've been distributing over the last year or so. Yeah, and you're you really you're really in a place now where you've become much more of a a coach, a mentor, and a teacher. Really, just helping um, pass that torch along, especially to other photographers. And do you do you find other photographers asking like, you know, how how you did it for information or because I, I I know of a lot of photographers that sing. The same tune that, you know, they said the universe is like, this is not, you know, a good idea. They, you don't make any money kind of thing. So do you have photographers that reach out to you? It's interesting. Yes and no. And the reason I say no is because I'm, I'm curious if this is the way in other industries. It was not this way when I worked in marketing. Like, it's not like all the people who worked in my professional service marketing industry pounded their chest a lot and just critiqued what others did. We actually admired what others did. We learned from what others did, and we appreciated when someone had a better idea than us, uh, and we celebrated that. Photographers are a little different. It's a little bit more of an ego-driven industry, which I guess I can understand because this is our work. This is our mission. You know, it's like, how many photographers does it take to make the perfect picture? And it's, uh, it's 500. You have one who takes the picture and 499 who tell them that they could have done it better. Okay? <laughs> and it's funny because when I go to, like, let's say I'll go to, like, a photo forum or, or a blog, 
I'll see photographers who perhaps have not gotten into their careers ripping on the greatest of the greatest. They'll be ripping on Richard Avedon or Andy Leibovitz um, and, and, you know, saying, oh, I can't believe, you know, I could have done this better. I'm like, well, but they're doing it, though. They're doing it. And that's that's kind of the cool thing is, like, they're out there doing it, and you're we're sitting here on a forum saying that we could have done it better, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a difference there. So, yes, people do reach out to me. But it's it's a very, very defined line between those who have the tenacity to want to improve their career versus those who would rather just complain about other people's work, which I always found kind of interesting that, you know, that we, you know, will expend energy on that. But there is a unity of people. And this, this parlays into the fitness industry, too. I mean, how many people in the health and fitness industry only do what the person in front of them does? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this person posts like this on their social media. I'm going to do the same thing. This person had a certain type of messaging or a certain type of wording. I'm going to do the same thing, right? Well, there's no originality in that. And if there's no originality, there's nothing to differentiate yourself. There's nothing unique about what you have to offer. So it's interesting. You, you, You get a clear sense right away where people's energy and intentions lie. And I'll share a quick quick parable with you of two friends of mine, uh, true story. They're both photographers. They're both about the same age. They both live in the same city. They both have the first name. They both drive the same exact car. They both, I mean, literally, they both have adopted children from the same country. Okay. I mean, on, on paper, these two could be identical. They even shoot for some of the same clients, right, in the same market. Okay. But when you talk to the one, he's a gloom and doom type photographer. Don't get me wrong. He's a very nice individual, but he wears his stress everywhere. He wears it in his eyes. He wears it on his shoulders. He wears it in his stride. He wears it in his voice. And you talk to him, and he just, he says, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so magazine. They hired a bunch of, you know, fresh out of college kids, and uh, that dropped the rates, you know, 25 bucks an assignment. So now we got to work for 150 an assignment. It used to be 175 It used to be 200 back in the day. And, uh, man, you know, they're not letting us relicense our work. And, you know, clients just don't understand. And it's just like, oh, it's like, like Eeyore. Yeah, I'm just, yes. He's like Eeyore. I'm just like, stop talking, Maybe dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, here, here, have a glass of wine. Like, cheer up. Cheer yeah. up, dude. Like, we get to be photographers. This is awesome. Like, we get to make images for a living. What the hell are you so sad about? And you talk to the other one, okay, who coincidentally was the one I interned for for years. Uh, and he, you say, Hey, how's it going? He's like, I just worked on this new project. I'm so excited about it. Like, and when you see him on set, he, he, he like clients run up and give him hugs and, you know, like, you know, him and I will go grab coffee together. We're just sitting at a coffee shop and inevitably almost every time someone he knows will walk by and be like, Hey, you know, Oh, so good to see you. And they give him a hug. They're like, we got to get on the phone again. We got to chat real soon. We want to bring you back in, make some more pictures. He has this infectious energy of positivity, okay? And that is what people want to gravitate towards, not the person who's all gloom and doom. Your energy says everything about whether or not people want to continue working with you. So if you're just in this mindset of limitation of, oh, this industry is so limiting and race or blah, well, then guess what you are going to see? You're going to have bad clients and bad rates and bad energy 
But if you love what you do, and it's just a, this is any industry, you love what you do, you excel what you do, you embrace your own uniqueness, you do what you can't help but do, that's your job security right there, yep. okay? Because no one else can be you. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a, a lot of that is probably even tied to them not being deeply rooted or even lack of, of their why. That's a big one. Um, Understanding the why is, is an interesting thing because, and this is, a, this is a revelation I've had just within the last two weeks. Um, and it's actually shifting. This is hot off the, the James. Yes. All right. Hot off, hot off the James mind. Uh, so often, and, and you, you and I are both coaches. We work with people and we, we encourage clients to focus on what their brand messaging is, what their why is. Um, like, like develop your brand and, you know, what, who's your brand for and what does it articulate? And, and we come up with all these, these frameworks for people to develop their brand. And, and the thing I realized is that as much as it's important to do this work, which it is important to think about, it's important to have that in the brain. Okay. I truly am now believing that brands are actualized in hindsight where we we develop a brand by doing something. Because how do we know if we've never done anything? Like, let's say I want to be a photographer. I don't have a portfolio. I just bought a camera, but I'm going to put together a portfolio. How am I, you know, John Smith, how am I supposed to know what my brand is going to be for the next 10 years unless I just do things, okay? And when I started, I didn't know what my brand was going to be. I had no idea. And, and by the way, you know, branding as a photographer is not just your technique. You know, that, that's a misconception. It's like, you know, oh, I take, I only photograph film. You know, that's my brand. You know, that's, that's a technique. Um, you know, a brand is so much more. A brand is your vision, your style, your energy, like how you answer the phone, how you respond to emails, your etiquette on set, the, the connection you have with your subject. This is all part of your brand, right? But this it's grown and fostered and developed by doing. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, you can't think your way into a brand. It doesn't happen sitting pen to paper being like, what is my brand going to be? Hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't it's, materialize. Exactly. And so, like, my brand, like, it was at some point of doing for a while, I looked back and realized, oh, I have a brand. Here it is. And so branding, you almost kind of realize in hindsight, although it is important to have it, to do the thought process, to do the thinking of where do I want to go, where could this go, but then to actually take steps to try things out, to do what you can't help but do, as, as I said a few times, and then you figure this out in hindsight. Yes. You know, and I, I absolutely agree with that, too. And, you know, I'll, I'll have people ask, me, how, how do I, how do I know, how do I, how do I know what my brand is? Well, you know, the questions that I get and people are like, well, you know, I'm going to take this course that lets me know how to figure out my brand. I'm like, no, no, don't take this course to figure out a brand. Okay, let's, let's start off. You're like, what are you doing? You know, pay attention to you. It's a little bit of becoming um, very self-aware, you know, is is where you, that, find, yeah. where you find your first clues, you know, and then the work you're doing, the style, and take note of the little nuances. What kind of people are you attracting? You know, and it's it's kind of being aware of your surroundings and then almost putting to, putting together the pieces like a puzzle. But in hindsight, you know, and and I believe too that self awareness as, as well is really important. I'm so glad you said that because that is such a crucial component of this. 
is having that self-awareness to look within what you're doing and understand what your motivations are, why this interests you, to digest that, to dissect it, to pull it apart and be like, you know, why do I like photographing, you know, uh, people in the health and fitness industry? Why do I like helping others? Why do, you know, wh- you know, why, why, why? And you keep peeling back those layers. Uh, it, I always find it interesting, you know, when we talk to people and they're like, well, I don't know if I have a brand. And it's like, yeah, you might not, but you never will unless you unless you start to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly that. You know, and it's and it's that passion too, and paying paying close attention to what your passion is. And I think a lot too. One of my aha moment for myself when I realized, for me, you know, being attracted to what people are passionate about and wanting to help them succeed on that. Like the sense that lit my heart on fire one time when I was having coffee with a friend when I was living in Vancouver. And we were talking, and he was into, like, popping and, like, breakbeat and, you know, hip-hop, dancing and everything, and he was going to practice. He was just lit up. You know, he wasn't making, you know, he moved to Vancouver. He wasn't making crazy money. It's expensive as heck to live in Vancouver. But he was just so passionate about this. And just want to, like, okay, well, what can we do next? Like, where where do you need to go next from here? Do you need to go to this challenge? Do you need to win this show? Do you need to take lessons here? What can you do to become better and make your mark? And for me, you know, just seeing someone be so passionate about something, I just want to give my all to help them. And I'm like, you know, I love I love helping people more than almost helping myself because it's just you see that fire in their eyes. It's like, oh, just light something up. It, it's, it goes back to that, having that infectious energy. Here's who I am, and I'm so in love with what I'm doing that you can't help but to want to be a part of that journey with them. Yeah, you know, especially when when people are passionate about that versus, you know, the doom and gloom photographer versus the happy everyone gets a hug photographer that you know. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, everyone kind of develops by doing their own process that works for them. Like, you know, it, it always surprises me when, you know, I see a photographer who, uh, you know, I, like I, I worked at this one magazine um, I still work there, uh, but this other photographer who used to work there, uh, he had this inability to ever be able to talk to his subject. And so he took technically beautiful photographs. And I would, I would argue that technically from a technique, from lighting and composition, he was a better, for, and editing, definitely on editing, he was a better photographer than me. But he didn't seem to have much vision. Okay. Um, and I was always more on the vision side, like, I'll feel my way through the technique, you know, oh, the light's a little bright. Let me move it here. Or I want it in a different direction. Let me move it a little this way. Or, you know, oh, I'm going to add in a little kicker there. Or, you know, and I feel my way through an image because I see what I want in my brain and I try to bring that to life. Uh, but yeah. also, and, and you know this as someone who's worked with me, I talk a lot when I'm taking photos. You do. <laughs> and, and I get you talking as much yeah. as I can. Like, I want there to be that connection. And, you know, whenever I see this photographer on set, he would he would talk to the art director, and he would turn to the art director and says, mm, do you think we should have the person move a little bit? And the art director's like, why don't you tell him? Like, what are you telling me for? You know, it's like everyone has their own little style, but you gotta you have to find a way to, to manage it and make it work for you. And 
in how you're developing these images or, or trying to execute your vision. Because I think vision, like as a photographer, vision is the most important element of a brand, like what you yeah. see. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of reminds me when you say that you can talk a lot and everything. Back, I mean, one of the photos actually popped off in my Facebook memories. But back in the day, and I want to say around the same time, see, so I was still in Winnipeg, so probably around 2008, or so, yeah, 2008, uh, finally got a chance to shoot with one of the biggest, um, most popular anyway, that was one of that most sought after kind of fitness photographers all of the time, and finally got to shoot with him. And it was one of those experiences where, you know, you're used to maybe, you know, chit-chat and laugh and joke and kind of, you know, get at ease and get that connection. And there was there was no talking. There was there was no direction or anything while taking the photos. Not a peep. Not a turn your head this way or let's try this. Nothing. And you just have to I was shooting outdoors and you just kind of have to go through the street and you're like almost a little bit intimidated because you're wondering you know, am I doing something wrong? Is this good? Is everything's fine? What's uh, talk to me? <laughs> you know? And it's it's really makes a difference when you finally have that connection with a photographer and. I think the quality of the photos, even it turns out, that energy is parlayed into the photograph. The connection needs to be there, and if it's not, there, honestly, there's no point in taking a photo. Uh, I've I've had photo shoots. My my shortest photo shoot was two frames. That was it. Two oh, wow. frames. One, check the light. Two, we're done. Okay. And the reason it was so short is the subject did not want to be there. So why would I force that subject to take more photos if they don't want to be there? Yeah. Okay. They're going to be bad photos. The first two yeah. frames were bad photos. Okay. Uh, and they're, they'll only get worse because they'll only be more agitated. It was for some commercial campaign, and the person wanted nothing to do with it. He hated the idea, thought it was so stupid. It was a silly idea. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he stood there. I took the test frame. I looked at it, took one more shot. He looked at me and said, you got it? And I said, yep. <laughs> I, had no idea. I, I had no idea if we had it. We, 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 we had something that passed. And I, uh, just a few months ago, I, had, I was shooting um, an editorial portrait of this family that owns a, a, um, a group of steakhouses throughout Arizona. And you could not have met a family of more grumpy people. Uh, they, they just like, and more importantly, they're, we're doing the, like, they're getting free publicity. It's a magazine cover and spread. They're getting all this publicity and they don't want to be a part of it, which is ironic because we, I can't imagine the magazine approached them. They, they would have had to pitch or their publicist pitched them to the magazine to get media exposure for their steakhouses. So this was their doing, not mine. I'm, I'm just sending to make a picture of them. And it, it's kind of like a wannabe mafia family, like, you know, very Italian with the, with the elegant suits and jewelry. And it's kind of the, the matriarch or patriarch father, uh, with his two sons with him. And, you know, this guy was so angry to have to be in, in, in photos. And, you know, his first quip was, you know, after we were taking a few photos, he's like, well, how many photos do we need for one picture? I said, well, we run a different picture on every different magazine cover, so I need I need about five thousand, and that got him to laugh. Snapped a few more, and then then he looked at me and he said, uh, so do subjects ever get real mad at you uh, during a photo shoot? I said, absolutely not. Why? He, he says, well, you know, like like it's just going too long. I'm like, no, we usually stop before then. 
And he says, oh, okay. I said, by the way, I think we're done. And that was it. <laughs> and it was like, because he was, he was, that was it. Like he was not, and he didn't give me anything to begin with. The guy was, the guy was a statue. Uh, yeah. but he was letting me know, I don't want to be here. And if you don't want to be here, what's the point of making this image any further? So, yeah. and what we got, I really liked actually. I was, I was, I was so relieved. I was like, man, I hope we got something good. And the art director just kind of like bites his lip. And I'm just like, oh, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, being, and it's definitely being in tune like that, that you're able to read into what he was saying, you know, and just being in the moment like that as well, just keeping every, all the energies good and flowing and um, not causing anybody to be where they don't want to be in that moment, just, you know, ruining the rest of the production. But yeah, think, but the reality is, is I just don't want someone there one minute longer than they want to be there. But I've had shoots that, you know, like that were supposed to be 20 minutes that lasted for hours because the person wanted to be there and they had fun making the images and the images were coming out great. So why not, why not run a few more shots? Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of making beautiful shots and images, as a fitness photographer now, obviously well-known in the industry, and you've been putting on these symposium events for fitness models, people that are wanting to, to act and people wanting to make connections and present their media kits. Where where did the idea for that spawn from? The idea behind it was really just an evolution of understanding where my clients were at. And so many people come to us and they say, I want to be featured in a magazine. That's okay. Which, by you know, just an aside, if, if your ultimate goal is to be featured in a magazine, it's not hard really to get featured in a magazine. And what happens when you get that feature? If that's your ultimate goal, does the journey end there? You retire? You just kind of hang up your little dumbbells? Um, like, magazine features are great, but they need to be applied to something else. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, the, the example I give is a number of years ago, we had a client, you know, said, you know, I'd like to, like to do some magazine work. I said, okay, let's see what we can do here. And, you know, just to be clear, I'm not a publicist, I'm a photographer, but I can take images and I have a history of taking images that do get featured in magazines. I shoot, on average, I shoot between 30 and 50 covers every single year. And so this person came to us, wanted to be featured in magazines, but okay, let's see what we can do here. And we take some photos, and uh, we develop their marketing materials. And within a year, they had two national print magazine covers and half a dozen interior features. So obviously, we made the right images, and obviously, they had the right look and the right brand and the right story to get these features. Okay. So check back in with this person about a year later and said, how are things? What's going on? I haven't heard from you a bit. And they said, well, I'm not in the industry anymore. I said, what do you mean? And I said, uh, well, I wasn't getting, I, I didn't have any clients. I wasn't making any money. So I'm now, I'm not, I, I don't know what they're doing, maybe selling cars. And I was like, wait, you had this insane amount of leverage and opportunity. Why was it not applied? And the simple answer was, I had no idea what to do. And that's when the light bulb was like, oh my God. I worked in marketing for seven years. I knew what to do. I knew how to tell stories. I knew how to write copy that converts. I knew how to make sales. But that's that's not something that people hone in on in their own life. Even though we sell we sell every day, 
I, I always love when people say I'm a bad salesperson. No, you're not. You just no. you just say you are. You, you were learning to you were learning to sell when you were three years old. Yes. Don't give me that gross food. Give me the good food. You know, you sell how much you hate that gross food, and you sell that you want that good food. Um, yep. We sell every day. We sell when we dress ourselves in the morning. We sell when we shake a hand for the first time. Like this is all sales, but we don't look at it that way. When we think sales, we think cheesy guys trying to sell us a lemon car. That's what we think when we think sales, like someone trying to do one over on us. And, you know, we put a negative connotation on that. You know, everyone, everyone sells. There's a tremendous book called To Sell is Human, uh, written by Daniel H. Pink, one of my favorite writers, who addresses the misconception about what sales used to be and maybe still is held, but is no longer valid. It's no longer true. Um, so, we sell ourselves every day. And I went off on a tangent there. You have to remind me what the question was. <laughs> I get I get so like I get so I go so far down the rabbit hole when I start talking about sales, uh, <laughs> and just like people's misperception about sales that all of a sudden I put blinders on. Like Sophia. All right. We were talking about the you know, average person or gentleman that had the cover and right, right. Yes. didn't yes. know what to do with it. Didn't know what to do with it. Had no idea what to do with it. And so I realized we need to start educating people on what, not only what the next step could be in their career, but giving them the permission that it's okay to take that step, that you will not die if you take that step. Okay, because a lot of people think that next step is a scary step. Okay, there, there were times I thought that step, step was a scary step. That's why when people said to me 15 years ago, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm, I'm in marketing. And I didn't say I'm a photographer, okay, because that step was scary. That was a scary thing to say. I get it, right? This is not, you know, I wrote about this on my Instagram this week. The goal we should have is not about erasing fear, not at all. Fear exists. We feel it. We're terrified. However, successful entrepreneurs act in spite of fear. They feel the exact same thing that the person who doesn't take that step feels. They just choose to take the step anyway. Okay. But we need to have conversations about this. We need to talk about this. So I started blogging and I've been blogging for over 10 years. I've written over a thousand articles on developing a brand, marketing a brand and profiting from a brand. Uh, then I started podcasting and I've done a few hundred podcasts and I started speaking and I've spoken coast to coast in the United States. And then I've written a few, a few uh, self-published books that I put out on this topic. But the thing that w was really important was community, having a tribe, because your network is your network, okay? My career grew when I improved my network, the people I associated with, the people I hung out with, the people I communicated with. Like, when I started entering for that photographer early in my career, I learned so many nuances about the industry that I was blind to before, but it required that I work with someone who was much further in their career than I was. But really, they, they only need to be one step ahead of you, only yeah. one step, and you figure out what that step is. And then there needs to be someone behind you so you can help them with that step because then you're, you're, you're reciprocating, okay? There's reciprocity, and that's important to have in a tribe. And... The way we decided to develop that tribe was through starting our own conference. And I'd spoken at other conferences in the health industry, 
uh, and in the entrepreneurial space. And there were things I saw that I really liked and things I saw that were absent. And so when we put together Symposium, we wanted there to be three things. And the three are important. The first is information. Okay, and information is, you know, like at this year's event, we have almost 40 elite level presenters. Every presenter on stage is at a minimum a multiple six-figure earner. Okay, so they figured out a lot of really cool stuff to get on that stage. Uh, but the fun thing about information is, is information's ubiquitous and free. Okay, anything, I promise that anything that's shared on our stage, someone can find on Google themselves for free. I promise it. And that's not just our conference, that's any conference. Any conference in the world. I can find that information for free. So information is just the hook. All right? So we have it. And I like to say we have great information. But the second thing is resources. And for me, resources, that, that's, that's your network. Okay? That by attending the event, you increase your network by 300 people. Spot on. Right there. Done. 300 people now added to your network. But the thing about network is you have to be a part of it. You have to engage it. I'm, I joined a mastermind early this year, 20, 24 elite-level entrepreneurs in this mastermind, and I spent a lot of money to be a part of this. But if I just sat there and expected the mastermind to do all the work, then I wasted my money. Okay? Wasted it. But if I engage the network, connect with them, work with them, learn from them, teach them, collaborate with them, that's what skyrockets, okay? So there's 300 people, and we see it in our private Facebook group, which is restricted for attendees of the conference. They're already connecting, sharing ideas, uh, asking questions of each other, already helping each other out before the conference even starts. That's connections, that's networks, that is your net worth, all right? So that's the second of three things. The third thing, though, and the third thing is, like, when I go to conferences, the way I evaluate what a conference is worth to me is what I think I could walk away from, okay? And it's not really information because, as I said, information is ubiquitous, okay? It is, to some extent, the networking, the people I can meet with, the people yeah. I can connect with. But the third thing is opportunity. opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's huge. The fact that there's opportunity to be had there. And the way we build opportunity is we partner with different magazines. We bring the editors to be there in person, not to be there across the room of 300 people and you wave at them, oh, hey, that's an editor over there. Uh, hope she sees me. No, 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 no. Each of the editors is casting for their publications so you can book real work at the event. And each editor is taking face-to-face -face meetings, one-on-one -on -one with attendees of the conference. That you cannot get anywhere else. Does not yeah, exist. I created it. Well, I, I, should, I should clarify. It does not exist for fitness, talent, and entrepreneurs. It, it exists for photographers. And, and the events that I would go to where I would want to meet with photo editors or clients, I'd have to spend circa $2,500 to $5,000 to do so. Okay? And that's just event tickets alone. So I created our conference for 10% of that price, 10% of that investment. That's a steal. That's a hell of a steal, you know, and it's it's for not only what you said is yeah the yeah the information, but honestly the opportunity, and then yeah the connections. I mean, and I, and I've been to you know some before in the past, and I'm really excited. This is your third year, correct? Fourth, going up on numero numero cuatro. Numero cuatro. Oh, excellent. So 
years already. And I don't think anyone's been able to even copycat what you've done because I think the, the connections that you've made, um, you know, have definitely afforded, uh, you know, the members and the, everybody that's going to be coming out to the Pitposium uh, something that's truly unique. You know, I'd be curious if someone would try to copy us. I got accused of copying someone else. That happened right after our first year. Um, huh. Another conference I spoke at sent me a sent me a really nice message saying, "We're so excited for your success. Uh, it's just nice to know where you started." And I was like, "Oh, hold the phone." Uh, okay. It's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, you know what it is? Is it, it, it? That is the mindset of the person of limitation. The person who thinks that in order for me to win, someone else has to, by definition, lose. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't look at it that way. I think it's awesome. Uh, I took what, you know, and, and to be clear, I was never an employee of this other conference. I, I They hired me to speak at their event. I was a hired contractor. And I saw things that I really liked, and I saw a lot of things I really didn't like. So when I created my own thing, of course I, I think about what else I've seen in the world. We don't live in vacuums. No one does. But it, they, they were one of maybe half a dozen that I looked to inspiration from. Honestly, most of the inspiration I took was events that I would go to as a photographer, that I would pay to attend. What do I want to see at these events? What's, like from, from an architecture standpoint, what do I want the event to look like? From a, from a design standpoint, what do I want the event to feel like? From an aesthetic standpoint, what do I want the collateral to look like? Uh, from, from an opportunity standpoint, what do I want people to walk away with? Okay. So, yeah. I mean, everyone steals. Another, another really good book, uh, it's called, um, oh God, what is it called? It's called, it's by Austin Cleon and it's called Great Artists Steal. I think that's what it is. Great Artists Steal or All Artists Steal, something like that. Okay. Um, and it, it's about how you source inspiration, how you develop, uh, what you have. Uh, based upon the world around you. And uh, myself as a photographer, have I never looked at another photograph? Yeah. Of course not. Of course not. It's, 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 here's what it is. You know, I, I, I love that there's other conferences, and I love that other conferences help people because everyone can offer something different. Should someone try to replicate exactly what we have, that's fine. The best they'd ever hope to be is the number two version of us. But if someone launched something different from us, which added an element, that we could not offer or we were not the best at offering, then people should be attending both. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's, enough, there's enough success to go around for everyone. I Just yesterday, I had a photographer message our, our uh, symposium account, and they said, you know, I'm looking to get a fitness photography. Is there a outlet for photographers to grow their careers within, within this conference? And now I'm a photographer, the limiting person should have said, no, stay away. We have too many photographers. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, I think Walmart needs another greeter. Uh, definitely do that. Don't get into photography. No, absolutely not. I, I welcomed him. I said, absolutely. There's so, not only are you going to learn how to grow your business as a photographer, not only are you going to make amazing connections, I guarantee you're there. You're at the ground floor connecting with people. You're going to get work there, and you should. Absolutely, you should get work there. And I hope you come. I, I would love to meet you there. Yeah. That was the message I sent back, and I meant it. Yeah. That's, that's the way it should be done, you know. There's no time for that petty stuff that's supposed to be left back in uh, high school. 
Well, once again, that that just comes full circle, and you know, maybe it's a photographer thing, or maybe maybe it's just an entrepreneur thing where you know entrepreneurs who thrive have that abundance mindset of yeah, there's plenty to go around. It's easy yeah. to make money. We'll just no. do you know, <laughs> no idea is that original. That's why I don't sign NDAs when you know when I do coaching. People are like, we sign an NDA. No, trust me, your idea is not that original. Yeah. Um. You know, I I, I can't I can't put myself in. In, in, in a live, in a, you know, liability state by signing something that I guarantee I've heard before. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, no, it's funny how that happens. Mm. So coming up though, you've got something actually that is specific to photographers to my understanding. Am I correct? You got, uh, Ooh, yeah. So I, cause I saw, I saw, I saw you were talking about this and this is, Pretty exciting. I mean, if you're a photographer, I, I'd get excited. You pay attention. <laughs> if, I were, if I were a photographer, I'm almost wanting to be a photographer right now, all this photography talk. Um, what's the name? It's Beyond? Beyond the Image. Ah, yes. Beyond the Image. Yes. So it, it's a play on words that, that I started using in my own career probably 10 years ago. And it was an in-house mantra. We didn't use this really externally. Uh, at some point we did, but at the start, it was just for us and, you know, with myself and my team to encourage us to go above and beyond what we offered our clients. We need to go beyond the image. We need, and it, it was really, we called it develop beyond the image. We develop beyond the image. We provide what other people aren't willing to provide. We go that extra step. Uh, and what I, what I, when I was thinking about that, you know, cause, you know, that, that was something that I came up with 10 years ago. I was kind of thinking about it. I'm like, you know, really develop beyond the image or just beyond the image is so much more than just a work procedure or a work mantra. That's really a mantra for life. We should develop beyond the image, not only in our work, but in our lives as creatives. And what are the ways in which we can do that? What are the ways that we can improve our careers improve our brands, improve our work, improve our clients, improve our, our revenue, but also improve the lives that we live because of these things, okay? Anyone that gets into photography does it because they feel like a calling to it. And that, not just photography, like the, the what we're launching is for any creative, illustrators, graphic designers, etc. And what I want to talk about is the DNA of what that great life looks like and how to develop beyond the image within our careers, but also within our lives. So uh, it's a new podcast I'm launching. Uh, we've, we've knocked out the first few episodes, probably will be online by the end of summer uh, on iTunes for, for people to download and take part in. It'll be a weekly podcast. But I'm also going to be interviewing um, other artists, other creatives. But then also I'm going to be interviewing uh, the people who make the decisions for hiring artists and creatives. I'll be interviewing creative directors, photo editors, uh, magazine editors, uh, the people who look at work day in and day out and decide who gets hired and who does not and get it from their perspective as well to give a full 360 view of the creative industry. Oh, boy, are you ever filling a need? <laughs> Wow, um, that is something that's that is going to be a game changer, James. I love it. It's what I'm doing is I'm taking what I've done with Fitposium, and I'm building 
something parallel to it, but for a new audience, for an audience of creatives. And once again, you know, we talked right at the beginning. We know who this is for and we know who it's not. And photographers are kind of a funky bunch, you know, and I'm one of them. Uh, we know who this is for and who it's not. This is for the people who have the best passions, who have the best determination, and who have the best grit and willingness to take that next step. That's who this is for. And and if it's, if that if that's you, you listening to the show, uh, then I'm excited to have you on this journey. I really am because it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun ride. That's amazing. That's awesome. I'll uh, make sure too that uh, once you've got that up and ready, we'll uh, let the people know on my end as well because uh, I know. I know a lot of creatives and photographers over here that could definitely benefit from that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, James. You know, it's been an incredible session with you, getting to learn so many of the nuances and all everything behind your why, you know, and where, where you started from and, like, the incredible journey that you've had and where, you know, it's, everything is just still building. It feels like you haven't even built – haven't even – met your cruising altitude yet i hope not you know it's yeah it's, it's just going i mean and still for year four now for fitposium we're just getting started it's honestly it's so fun to see the evolution over the last four years because certain things have just started to gain such momentum that it you start to see it and when people come up to you and they say since last year's event I quit my job and launched a multiple six-figure business, or I'm now the, I'm now the breadwinner in my family, or, you know, I, I, I did something that I never thought was possible for. I, you know, all those excuses that we tell ourselves, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too whatever, I'm too busy, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't have enough education, oh, I'm too, all this stuff. It's just noise. It's just noise. And it's amazing to see people turn the volume down on that noise. Take a deep breath. Realize that they're still terrified. That's okay. It's part of the process. And step forward anyway. That's the coolest thing. Yeah. That is incredible. There's going to be so many more people that are going to be doing that. Well, thank you so much again, James. It was great having you on the show. Thank you so much again. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. If you believe you're unfuckwithable, go ahead and share this podcast.